Mark Howard. Wayne Carey. Kanye, yep. which is basically Wayne with a K. Oh, but he no. says Kanye. Yeah. So I want to now be known as Wanye. Triple M's Winter Breakfast. Oh, what a way to start your morning if you've just jumped in the car. <laughs> They'd be going, who was that tosser? <laughs> Four minutes past six, Mark Howard and Wayne Carey with you on Winter Breakfast. Rosie is along for the ride as always. Duck, we've come in this morning. It's like it's Duck and Howie Sports Bar. How good. We've just seen uh, Andy Murray in the fifth set uh, get a win over Joe Wilfred's song. A Federer came back from two sets to love down to win. And now we're watching Portugal-Wales just starting the second half, 0-0. Zero, zero. Sometimes when you get paid to come to work and watch sport, I think you it's need to be bad, pretty happy with the way you said to me that they will meet in the semis. Yeah, I got that roundabout. So, so that's so wrong. That, so if they so go all Murray the way through, they can meet in the final. Yeah, so if Murray uh, wins, uh, he has to take on, I think, Thomas Burdick, and then Federer has to take on uh, Big Milos Rainich, the Canadian not, with a big serve. Not often. If they get through to the final, not often you I watch a top-level sport mm. and go, you know what? Really wouldn't bother me if either one of those won. I yeah. like. I, I, that's how much I like. You're an them Andy both. Murray man, eh? I like him. Yeah. Okay. Surely you're he's, in the he's been. Yeah. No. I'd, I'd love Federer to get one more, but Andy Murray has been the bridesmaid uh, so many times. Yeah, he has. He has. Well, he keeps coming up against Novak in finals, doesn't that's he? Right. Which is which is pretty tough. Uh, talking about the sports bar, what's your favourite non-football sport to watch? When you sit down, you think, oh, I can't wait. This is on. What do you like to watch? Um, no, I'm a bit of everything. Okay. I'm a bit of everything. I don't have an absolute favourite. I like I like watching uh, you know tennis. Uh, the Olymp- when the Olympics come up, I watch just about everything, mainly the things that uh, you know we will win medals in. So I'll, I'll watch all of the swimming and and that sort of stuff. But I like the track and field. I, I'm a bit of everything. It's a bit like my music taste. I can go from oh. Van Halen to Taylor Swift. <laughs> no, I know you can. You know, I'm I sort know of uh, very much uh, never never. <laughs> Getting back together, well, Howie. I'm sure it's type. a bit early for you banging out Taylor. Is there something you can't watch on? I, I honestly struggle to watch basketball. And on the Dead Set Legends this year, Fev's been educating me, as has our man Hyphen, because he loves the basketball. I'm not a big basketball well, fan Hyphen to loves watch. his basketball. Yeah. You know, so you, the basketball for me, when it comes playoff time, so mm. I, watched, I watched all of the finals. Same with the NFL. I love the NFL, but I generally wait until the sort of second part of the year when they start to get serious. So... Um, you've got to, you, as you, well, you're the sports guru. You've just got well, to keep your you eye on, well, you've got to keep your eye on everything. Yeah, no doubt about that. We've got a big show coming up. Uh, next three things you need to know with Sarah Patterson on your way to work. Uh, we'll speak to Tommy Steinford. He's going to fill us in on the situation with Oscar Pistorius, who got six years, which to be honest for murder doesn't sound like a great deal. No, well, it's uh, well below the minimum uh, sentence, but there's, oh, look, obviously he got a, he got acquitted originally and it was manslaughter and then, you know, he, he, he's now gone up again. So we'll find out from Tom all of the information over there. Sad, uh, sad state of affairs, that whole, yeah, it that is, whole thing. It is, Actually, right. there was a, a very good story on TV. It might've been 60 minutes or, um, or on seven, one of those shows a couple of weeks ago on, on, uh, on Pistorius who sat down and did an interview yep. before sentencing, which is quite unusual that you sit down and do a TV interview, which My word. was quite compelling. Anna Mears, we'll have a chat with her, the Australian flag bearer, Joey Montagna from the States. We'll Joey's cross over. coming in. Joey's coming in. Uh, Damon Johnson, the editor of the Herald Sun, I've got a big question for him as to whether you were included on the list to potentially vote for on the best football analyst in TV. I told you I wasn't. Well, 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 we'll, ask Damon about, well we'll ask Damon about that. And then you talked about Taylor Swift and you're liking her. Diesel is coming in. We're going to go one-on-one with Diesel and he's going to play at Duck's desk. He's a new hit 
Americana. Yes. Yeah, that's the new to, album that's, that's out. That's the, oh, the new yeah. album. Yeah, and he's Not, doing a Johnny Cash song. Oh, well, I knew he was. Is he? Yeah. Americana. Well, at least you got the album. So yeah, we, you've done some research. Right. That's good work. Ducker, three things we need to know on your way to work. Sarah Patterson's coming here full Hello, of beans Sarah. this morning. Hello, Pato. Good morning. Have to lean over into the mic, so I need to lose a couple of inches. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's always the way. You are a tall one. Yeah, I think I'm shade under six feet, but I always wanted to be a little bit shorter. You know the uh, Luke Darcy mic, which yeah. I've got here. The which big extender. The, uh, I noticed that yours extender. is a bit longer. Yes. <laughs> What's three things we need to know, Pato? So first we'll start with the weather. Uh, not just Melbourne copping um, oh, a bit of rain. Yeah. Um, the beautiful uh, lakes entrance in East Gippsland and the, mm. the Bucken Caves. You ever been to the Bucken Caves? I have. Yeah, I went there as a kid. No. Yeah. Bucken good. <laughs> very, very good. They have been closed <laughs> until further notice because of the inclement weather and there are fears that the um, the Bucken River could rise up to four metres due to heavy rainfall and a bunch of campers who had planned to spend the night down there uh, had to turn around, pack up and, and go back and so did a, a bus full of tourists. So we'll keep an eye on that region of the state today. Are you a camper? No, not at all. I'm not even a glamper. Now, what about you? Um, I'm a country boy, but I, I must admit I'm not, <laughs> not, not really You're a camper. Flappy tent and the lilo, yeah. the blue and red lilo, you know with the lumps that, that or sound, a Winnebago. That sound, oh. Oh, mozzies. those mozzies. <laughs> Is that the worst sound oh. ever when you're trying to sleep? I can't <laughs> find one thing appealing. Smack no. yourself in the Having to, you know, get a key to go to the toilet at night. Sleep in the weird. back of the car, the back of the ute, no problem. But in a flappy, flappy tent? Mm-mm. Anyway, hello to all the, the people. Tents are a little, the tents are a little bit different these days, Howie, than your little uh, setup that you would have had. Were they? They've gone a bit more fancy. Oh, yeah. They? Okay. Yeah. They just, you just press a button just about these days and they just <laughs> pop up. Right. That's what I need. Yeah. Uh, number two thing we need to know. Well, the front page of the Herald Sun today, uh, notorious pedophile. <sighs> Mr. Baldy has been photographed by the, take, uh, the paper taking a, uh, a ride on a country train and he's, he's sitting there amongst families young children uh, during the school holidays. Now, Mr. Baldy uh, has served about 26 years jail after a string of, of child sex crimes. He has served his sentence. Um, authorities fear, though, he might re-offend and he is still subject to um, legal orders which allow him some independence. Yeah, We've got yeah. Damon Johnson, the editor of the Herald Sun, in later on today. I'd be fascinated to ask him how they get these photos. Does that mean they're following this fella around yes, exactly. for a day or a week. And or did looking... they just stumble across? Yeah, mm. we'll, we'll ask Damon about that. Um, mm. All right. Not much else we can say about no. that. No. Nope. And the third thing you need to know, uh, soccer great Lionel Messi yes. has been sentenced to 21 months jail for tax fraud. So he's off to jail, is he? Well, he's not, actually. Right. He and his dad got done. Um, they both face millions of euros in fine. Neither is expected to serve any jail time. Under the Spanish system, uh, prison terms of... Under two years can be served under probation. Under two years, you don't go to jail. By the way, he, he earns that sort of money in a week. Yeah, that's very... How much tax did he not pay? So $4.5 million Australian. Uh, they're accused of concealing it in uh, in tax havens yeah. offshore. Wow, that's a big that's suitcase. Lot, no, that's not a lot of money for him, though. No, well, no, you're right. You probably wonder why. Yeah. Steffi Graf went through the same thing with her father Dad, as well. that's right. Yeah, he was trying to sort of avoid the tax situation. You paid up? I just did my bass statement yesterday. You've already done your tax already. <laughs> well, no, my bass statement, not, oh. not the financial year. You know, the old three-month bass statement. Uh, thank you for that, Pato. No worries. Duck Oscar Pistorius was sentenced to six years in jail overnight for the murder of 
Reva Steenkamp. We'll speak to Tom Steinton very shortly. I'm going to firstly, though, play you a little bit of audio from the presiding judge by the name of Tokazili Masipa. The life of the accused shall also never be the same. He's a fallen hero who has lost his career and is ruined financially. The worst is that having taken the life of a fellow human being in the manner that he did, he cannot be at peace. It's not for us to judge other people's legal systems, Duck, but I would imagine this decision is going to cause a little bit of angst when people look at the cold, hard light fact that he's been found guilty of murder and he's spending six years in jail before parole. Yeah, it's, well, he was found not guilty by a jury and then it was overturned. So anyway, Tom... Yeah, it's a confusing Tom case. Tom will let us know. Yeah, Tom will be joining us next. We've just been having a quick chat about the Oscar Pistorius case. We've got on the line now, I'm not afraid to say it, my favourite foreign correspondent. Oh, gee, covers some kilometres, this man, for the Nine Network. His name is Tom Steinford. Uh, good morning from us, Tom. Where are you? Good evening, I presume. Just checked in the mail for that pump-up. Thank oh. you very much. Uh, look, I'm, uh, he says that I'm, to everyone, I'm, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm told. Uh, I'm in London for this one. Uh, I've spent enough time in Pretoria over the years uh, to know this time back to France and uh, probably wasn't worth heading down there this time because we knew that it'd be a pretty uh, underwhelming response from the judge. Uh, once again, it sort of descended into fast there. It's uh, uh, a sentencing hearing for Oscar Pistorius. He's uh, this time guilty of murder. Uh, and for the background for everyone, when you're guilty of murder in South Africa, the minimum jail term that you can be sentenced with is 15 years. Bizarrely, the judge has said, no, I'm going to ignore what I'm, what I'm told the rules are and has just given him six years in jail and then uh, taken into consideration on top of that the fact that in South Africa, the jails are so overcrowded that once you've served uh, a sixth of your time behind bars, you're eligible for parole. So a sixth? Of six years means uh, you don't have to be a mathemat- mathematician to figure out that's one year. Oscar Pistorius is a fair chance of serving one year in jail for murdering his girlfriend. Wow. But, Tom, it's unusual circumstances in itself, given the fact that he was um, found guilty of basically manslaughter in our in our terms over here, and then that was overturned for him to be now facing the murder charge, and now that seems uh, light on what you're right and what you're saying now, but it was unusual the fact that they, they, uh, they overturned the first uh, decision. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is bizarre. Um, he was, of course, as you say, found guilty of culpable homicide, what they call it there, uh, first time around. Uh, that was appealed by the state. They won the appeal. So, yeah, they upgraded to murder. One of the more bizarre elements here is the fact that uh, the judge who actually initially said, you are not guilty of murder, uh, Judge, judge Tokazili, she uh, is the one that ended up sentencing him too. So this is a woman who clearly believes that he's not guilty of murder, and then it comes down to her to decide... Uh, what the punishment is. So hence, that would explain some of the sympathy that he's got here today and part of the uh, world's loudest ambulance coming past. <laughs> the reaction in South Africa to this, Tom? I guess they've almost got to the, the stage there to uh, expect the unexpected mm. and not really be uh, surprised by this one. Uh, certainly, uh, Pistorius' legal team was pretty happy with the result, not surprising. A lot of other people, I mean, you mentioned this on Twitter and people lose their minds for it saying, well, hang on, the way the judge is talking, you'd think Oscar Pistorius was the victim in all of this. Uh, have we forgotten about the fact that Reva Steenkamp is dead? You know, she, she's uh, got a, you know, a life sentence of sorts from uh, that shooting. So it, it's, um, it's certainly something that, that fires up 
people a lot, and I'm typically probably haven't heard the last of it yet. Still, but for about the hundredth time, I've got to say we're not done just yet because the talk is that the state will now appeal this sentence, saying it needs to be much more severe. Yeah, you're spot on about. We just played some audio before we joined you, Tom, of the judge, and we were hearing the judge talk about the fact that Oscar Pistorius was going to have to live with this for the rest of his life, and it was a great financial burden, etc., etc. There were some, there were some strange comments. Before we let you go, talking about financial burdens, Tom, I just need to know with the pound at a 33-year low, is the Nine Network paying you in pounds or dollars? Because if it's pounds, my friend, um, wow, you're in trouble. Yeah, I'm paid in pounds, and uh, I've just started up a GoFundMe page where you can sponsor me for a dollar a day, uh, if you, which a dollar's now worth 400 pounds a pop. So, yeah, if you can all chip in, that'd be great. I might eat tonight. We can. We'll see you in the same suit the next 15 straight nights on the Nine Network. We appreciate your time, it's Tom. actually a, a Hessian sack. <laughs> great to speak to Tom Stein. Thank that. you, guys. A lot of overnight sport to get through, Ducky, plenty, my friend. Well, let's plenty. start with the tennis, where we had some magnificent games last night. Andy Murray took the first two sets against Joe Wilfred Songer. Then Songer won the next two sets, so it was all tied up. And then Andy Murray smoked him in, in the, last the fifth set, set yeah, 6-1. So he ran away with it, Andy Murray. So he's through to the semifinals. Here's a bit of the Scott after his match. He mixed it up well. and. Um, you know, credit to him for fighting his way back into the match because he played, um, you know, extremely well after, you know, that first set was a tough one to, to lose. Obviously, run away with the second, but, you know, he fought really hard right to the end. Uh, Andy Murray going to play Thomas Burdick, the man with the massive quads in the first semi final. The second semi final, Roger Federer. He's done some amazing things in his career. He admits he was in trouble on centre court on Wednesday after coming from two sets down to beat Marin Cilic. Uh, seven six six three in the final two sets. Faced three match points, Ducky boy. Yeah, incredible performance. He climbed off the canvas to reach his eleventh Wimbledon semi final. Only the tenth time in a one thousand three hundred twenty four match career, Federer has recovered from two sets to love down. Let's hear from the great man. For me, it was about staying in the match. Somehow, hope for his level to drop maybe a little bit and get a little bit lucky. It's exactly what happened. I think three all love forty. You know, have to pick up a half volley. I mean, it could go in the stands. It stays in. Next thing you know, it's like you're still in the match and you can turn it around. And then obviously the breaker was crazy. So it was, it was an incredible match. Yeah, it was, it was great fun playing against Marin. He's one of the nicest guys on the tour. Um, so I feel sorry for him. But for me, obviously, the dream conti- continues. I couldn't be happier. I reckon he's the best. He, uh, I, I always saw on every level. I, I always saw Pete Sampras was, you know, the the best that I saw in my time, and I think he's he surpassed him. I mean, he one he surpassed him in in majors as we know, but he's just he's just brilliant in not only the way he plays, but the way he conducts himself, the way he speaks. He's just and and that and that attitude. Now we we you know obviously speak about uh, Kyrgios and mm. the way he's and he's a young man, but you know for him to be. He would be in his right mind, given what he's done in sport, to sort of go, oh, you know what? Oh, well, this one's got past me. But no, point by point by point stays in it and wins. He's just an incredible uh, person, incredible sports person. Yeah, he should head up the UN when he's done. That's the type of character he's yeah. Don't forget, though, as a young man, he was a massive racket thrower. He had a massive temper. He wasn't Kyrgios style. Federer. Oh, my word, he was. Australian Open used to throw it around all over the place. Really? When he used to have the long hair and stuff, he was a bit of a wild man. People, oh, see, this is what. No, I'm dead serious. And this is what people forget about Agassi. He was a loose cannon as well. And these gentlemen, they go through their careers, they mature. I'm not comparing Federer you know, to Kyrgios. Uh, Agassi actually had a uh, possum on his head for a fair while. He did. <laughs> Went into a French Open final, and that was all he was worried about. When you read his book, he wasn't worried about winning. He was worried about his possum falling off. <laughs> Extraordinary duck. 
<laughs> Let's get to a bit more AAFL uh, news now. Brett Delidio is back in the core Richmond list with the vice captain saying he wouldn't be putting his hand up for a trade anytime soon. This comes after Triple M's Jason Dunstall suggested everyone at Punt Road is tradable earlier in the week. Delidio told AFL tonight that he won't be putting his hand up for a trade and says the Tigers have the fundamentals in place to be pushing up the ladder. Certainly showing that we've got some high-class players, and Dusty, Trent, Jack, D- uh, and Rancy. They're your top echelon of players, and we just got to build some uh, some younger guys around them, and then try and bring in some um, some talent as well. I'm a contracted player, so I assume so. Yeah, I uh, haven't been told directly that I'm not on the trade table, but um, you know, when the club's in a position that we are, then um, you know that questions are going to be asked and they need to be answered. But uh, I'd like to think that uh, I'd be welcome back next year. He's not going anywhere, Howie. No, neither are any of those players that he mentioned. That top five at that club is, and I agree with him. They're in the, they're, they're right at the top of their game, and it, it, that that eats away at your fabric. You get rid of one of those guys, and you know the, Richmond. Well, that's a that'd be a massive step backwards. They do have to be aggressive in their trades, and they do have to get rid of a couple of players that uh, haven't performed to a level that they thought, and they you know have to get some younger talent. Exactly as he said, I, I don't think it's all broken at Richmond. I'm, 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 uh, I don't subscribe to Damien Hardwick. You know, it's all doom and gloom. I, I think that they can bounce back fairly quickly. The thing about trading out one of those boys, you, you get a high draft pick, but that's a big question mark. There's no question marks next to Rance, Cochin, no. Delidio. These boys are stars. To trade them out to get a potentially good player? Yeah. Sounds a bit risky to me. Oh, Mick Fanning. Now, I sat in uh, yesterday uh, with the Penguin and the Pickle. Jay Bay, who's groomed offshore three foot, just pumping ducky boy. And Mick was the first he's out in the morning. Uh, obviously, he'd surfed in the lead up, but the yep. first time he'd surfed in competition at Jay Bay after the shark attack last year. He advanced through his first eat at Jeffreys Bay. The 35-year-old had nothing to worry about blitzing his competition in American Connor Coffin and Brazilian Alejo Muniz. Uh, the good thing was he overcame the ankle injury that he's been battling. And Fano being Fano, didn't talk about sharks. He talked about his ankle. Um, yeah, it was pretty funny, actually. I sort of called it on the way home from last year. I was like, I bet you on first heat next year. And sure enough, I put the mocker on myself. But, um, look, it was, um, it's been a big week, actually. You know, I got here early and then hurt my ankle. And so I had to sit on the sidelines and watch the amazing waves go through. And it was it was just like torture. But, um, look, uh, medical staff worked so well on me. And, um, and then, yeah got it taped up and you know once once you're out in the heat sort of don't feel anything you just get going but um yeah it was great to get back out we talk about mental strength in athletes when you get attacked by a shark and come back to the same place a year later duck um, yeah it's pretty good isn't it yeah it's phenomenal uh, the king kelly slater got through as well Plenty do, they, to do they have uh, you know do they do they do they have any extra people sitting out they the have, back on yeah, jet skis and all that sort of stuff now? They, yeah. they do this year. Yeah. But the problem, Duck, they, they patrol the point, but the big sharks come down the point from further down the coast and they just sneak into the lineup. Right. And that's what you need to be concerned about, especially you and your little shark biscuit boogie board style arrangement. <laughs> Duck, our next guest has been a superstar in Australia for a long period of time with a wonderful career, two-time Australian Open winner in the golf and two-time Australian PGA Championship. He's been playing in the United States of America for a very, very, very long time. And now, after more than 300 starts, he can call himself a winner on the PGA Tour, which is extraordinary. He's on the line now. G'day to Greg Chalmers. Hello, Greg. Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Great to speak to you. The title of PGA Tour winner. It must sit pretty nicely with you. Congratulations. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, it only took 386 attempts. So, uh... <laughs> It's, it's it's not a bad way to go, but uh, yeah, really excited here. It's been a busy few days, and 
getting ready to go to the British Open, which is surprising. So how, how does surprise. it? How does it feel? And uh, is it a feeling that you've never experienced before? Yeah, no question. Um, just a, a lot of relief, you know, because there's a lot of doubt there. Um, you know, I'm always, you're always fighting in your brain to get the best out of yourself. And, uh, and I just wasn't sure if it, you know, if it was going to happen for me because not everyone wins. Um, there's only room for there's only 42 events every season, and and some guys win multiple times. So there's just uh, there's just not enough room for everybody to have you know victories on their plate. So um, really, just a lot of relief and and a lot of uh, uh, gratefulness and just pure joy, pure elation. You know, just uh, what what a what a great thing. You're going head to head over the closing stages with Gary Woodland. You probably weren't aware that he bogeyed the last hole. And then you went on, uh, probably requiring a par, I guess, looking at the scores now, but eagled the last hole in a shot that you will forever remember in your career, I would have thought, Greg. Yeah, that was a cracker. I, um, my caddy told me after my tee shot, and I'd crushed it down that hole every day, and he let me, he knew before the tee shot, but he said I waited till, he waited till afterwards because he said, I know you had a hit a beautiful tee shot here every day. So he said, I, and I hit it straight down the middle, and he told me, look, we only need par. And, uh, and I had... Uh, 230 yards, and I hit a seven iron. You know, we're at altitude; it's howling downwind, it's downhill 20 yards. So, hit a seven iron, trying to leave it sort of five yards short of the green there, and just you know keep it out of the water right, and uh, and did that, um, made putt and, and and rolled it on the green, and then made the putt. So it's, it's nice to have a, you know three putts from eight feet. I reckon I can handle that, and I got it in one. So. Greg, you sent out a wonderful picture on social media. I don't know at what stage of the round it was, but it was your wife sitting out on the front lawn. I presume that was her not having the courage to watch you on the telly. Yes, correct. Uh, that was uh, back nine. She was getting texts and calls from girlfriends sort of keeping her up to date and telling her when she should go inside, but she couldn't watch. And, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it must be tough, uh, you know, watching someone, you know, you're emotionally involved, you're financially involved, watching them do this, and they haven't done it before. And so, yeah, a little nerve-wracking for her. I found I find it hard to watch my friends than I do to do it myself sometimes because you just you got no no say in it, you know. Um, so yeah, she sat on the curb and then came in as I putted out. Talking about uh, financially, how does how does this change your life? It must be a uh, a massive hit in the uh, hip, hip pocket, so to speak. Oh yeah, really needed it, mate. Because I'd only made uh, one twenty-five thousand this year. I had a lean few three years, and you know expenses don't go down, but um, everything else seems to. My earnings did though, so uh, I'd only made twenty-five grand up until now, and I'd probably spend about eighty. So um, it was you know going in the wrong direction on the web dot com, and and you know not sustainable over the long term. I was spending obviously money that I'd saved over my career, and, and would do that, continue to do that to try and get my playing rights back but for how long do you keep doing that you know losing money so um really turns it around dumped 570 grand in my pocket and great for me great for my caddy new guy i had dumped 60 grand onto him he needed that and so i'm really happy for that him too so really good for a lot of us you know get us great earning opportunities now going forward on the pga tour for a couple of years greg seeing you go back to back on the aussie open and the pga a few years ago when we used to have it on network 10 i know you're a reasonably low-key type of fella did you do anything unusual to celebrate or just low-key low-key nah man i'm a i'm a bourbon guy um so i we had july 4th here the day after i got back my father and i flew out straight after it on a red eye uh straight back i live in dallas and uh we got in at sort of 6 a.m and then that night kind of had a nap and then that night we went out for july 4th and, uh, and had a little too much that <laughs> night 
Um, and then I'm, I've been teasing the, I've been a, teasing myself looking at um, uh, what do you call uh, resto mod uh, Ford pickups and stuff like oh. that. Like I'm a bit of, I, I enjoy cars and I've been looking at all these. I like the modern luxury, but I like the old cars. So looking at these resto mod C10 Fords. I'm oh, sorry, you yeah, have C10 Chevys and, and Ford F100s and. Man, there's some beautiful ones there. So, and they're so cheap over here. You guys, I mean, you have no idea how cheap cars are here. It's a joke. Everything's so cheap. When, everything's cheap when you've just won half a million US dollars. I would have thought, Greg. We really appreciate your time, and uh, Duck and I are absolutely stoked for you to get that first win. And may you go on and uh, that move forward to you in the British Open, Greg. Thanks for having a chat with us. Uh, beautiful guys. You have a great day. Great Thank to you. speak to Greg Chalmers. Uh, well, it's, it, you love it when that happens. You do. Yes, you know, someone that's uh, put their heart and soul and life into doing something and as he said going you know clearly off savings and just saying yeah. no no it'll happen it'll happen and it happens it's just a good news story oh, and I think the point you make Duck we, we, we picture Tiger Woods and we picture Jason Day and these blokes earning big money it's the same in the tennis but um, there's blokes that battle away there yeah. that go from hotel to hotel hire car to hire car and they're looking at their bank balance going down and down and down and then boom half a million drops in Ducky that's great isn't it, might, it. might fly at the pointy end on the oh. way home too Time to cross to the UK where we speak to the wonderful Gavin Gray. Good morning from here. Gavin, how are you? Good morning, guys. Very well. How are you? Yeah, really well. I've been reading a little bit about the Chilcot Report, which is the UK's inquiry into the Iraqi war. Seven years cost a lot of money, and it doesn't exactly seem that positive on the role of your Prime Minister at the time, Tony Blair. No, that's right. There are several things in the report which are... Well, need answering, and I think we're aiming the finger at him. Now, um, basically, this report took seven years. It's 12 volumes in length, cost 20 million Aussie dollars, more than 100 witnesses. Wow. Tony Blair himself appeared twice as a witness, but today he gave an hour-long press conference after the Chilcot inquiry was released, called Chilcot because of the man who authored it. Um, and basically, in essence, that report said that... Uh, uh, more diplomatic, peaceful efforts should have been attempted before any conflict was entered into. Um, the intelligence was given more certainty than it actually merited. In other words, when Tony Blair went to Parliament, it appeared to be certain there were weapons of mass destruction. Um, and uh, the Chocolate Inquiry throws questions into that. But I think perhaps the biggest thing is, you know, it says there was no, inadequate, there was no adequate plan for the aftermath. Um, and... Uh, no serious planning for what happened once the battle had been won and Saddam Hussein was thrown out. Well, hey, Gavin, uh, traffic here in Melbourne is just getting worse and worse, and I believe drivers of diesel cars over there might uh, cop a little bit of a, a fine. Yeah, it's looking like it. Um, basically, we have a congestion charge here in London, but now they're looking at a uh, toxicity charge. Now, 9,000 diesel vehicles a day could be affected. It won't apply to taxis, but it will to cars vans and lorries um, built before 2005. The mayor of London says 40,000 early deaths a year across the UK are caused by air pollution. And he argues that diesel is one of the biggest offenders. So he's looking to introduce this charge of 20 Aussie dollars a day. So that'll work out pretty expensive over the course of a week. It'll start, he thinks, or hopes in London, and then could be rolled out to other cities worldwide. Now, there are an awful lot of diesel cars in the UK, guys, because under Gordon Brown, the previous uh, Prime Minister, of course, um, there was a dash for diesel. He basically slashed duty on diesel and reduced company car taxes because the fuel reduced carbon dioxide emissions. 
But uh, that meant that the number of diesel cars uh, doubled in his time period, and it's something now that they are looking at. So, Mark and Wayne, if you're coming to London, then bring your car. Well, Gav, we'll be able to afford the petrol. We know that with the way the uh, exchange <laughs> rate's going. But do you, as a London operator, do you get around town and have days where you think the pollution's not ba- uh, the pollution's bad, or it's not at that extent? Um, I think certain days and in certain places where you go, it can be pretty bad, particularly if there's been no um, particular breeze. But you see pictures of Paris, uh, Beijing, Tokyo, other major cities, and I've even seen Sydney. And, you know, you do get this smog, don't you? So uh, I wouldn't say it's particularly um, uh, a London problem. And I I know Melbourne has trams, which I think help hugely with this. I don't know if you agree with that, but it is is something they're looking at, and it is something that, that diesel car van drivers are going to have to take note of. In my word, Gav, uh, one of the more interesting politicians in Europe in recent times, the former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi, he of the great Bunga Bunga parties, as put on by Mick Malloy in this part of the world, he sold AC Milan, has he? Well, that's what he's saying. Uh, right. Yeah, he gave an interview to a local paper saying that he'd sold the club. I mean, it just hadn't made much publicity. So this caught people by surprise. He said that um, it's a Chinese consortium and they're going to pay roughly 450 million Aussie dollars over the next two years, which would value the club at well in excess of uh, about 1.5 billion Aussie dollars. That's including their debt. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that's what he's saying. The 79-year-old, of course, as you say, famous for his Bunga Bunga Party, served as Prime Minister four times, but has been convicted of tax fraud and bribery. And so, consequently, there was a lot of pressure on him to start getting rid of bits and pieces of his empire. And uh, AC Milan is one of Europe's most successful clubs that did report a loss of uh, roughly 110 million Aussie dollars last year. So it is something that I think selling it has been on his mind. That's a lot of money. Now, Gav, growing up, uh, we all had an Oxford English dictionary and there's a couple of new additions in it and Budgie Smugglers is one of them. Yeah, and uh, I think we can blame uh, you guys, the Australians, (laughs) for this. Apparently, its usage first came in in the 1990s in Australia, uh, for those that don't know, to refer to a pair of tight men's swimming trunks. More than a 1,000 new words have entered the Oxford English Dictionary in the latest edition, uh, including bova. Now, that was made famous by the comedian Catherine Tate, her character, the schoolgirl, Am I Bovert, and acronyms. Now, do you know what these are? F-W-I-W? No. For what it's worth. For what it's worth. Oh, Rosie. And I-C-Y-M-I, in case you missed it. Apparently both very popular for texting and social media. A couple of words that come in are glamping, that's glamorous camping, Mm -hmm. with the luxuries of a hotel stay. And uh, another one, listicles, which I thought was going to be a bit dirty and naughty. Instead, it turns out to be an online newspaper um, list of Facts. Oh, articles, listicles. You see them all the time. Oh, I get it. Uh, Gav, as we let you go, are you a man that rocks the uh, budgie smugglers when you slide down a Brighton for a trip to the beach? (laughs) Mine are uh, rather voluminous um, uh, board shorts, I'm afraid, guys. (laughs) Good on you, Gav. We appreciate the update. Cheers, guys. (laughs) <laughs> They've just got a wonderful way of speaking English, don't they? They do. You'd, you'd be a budgie <laughs> smuggler man? No, no, no. I'm a board short man. Uh, I wouldn't have worn budgie smugglers since we had to at school. Um, I'm not a budgie smuggler man at all. What about you? Oh, no, only when you're in the swimming carnival. Yeah, that's it yeah. for me. Yeah, Mark Howard, Wayne Carey. And Amir's to join us not too far away, the 2016 Australian Olympic team flag bearer. On the hot breakfast. No, we're, we're the winter breakfast, aren't we? Yeah. The way we're going, we will be the hot <laughs> breakfast, though. <laughs>
all is good with the world because Anamir's Quite rightly so, has been announced the flag bearer for the 2016 Australian Olympic team. She is on the line now. Good morning and congratulations, Anna. <laughs> Such a well-deserved honour. Good morning and thank you very much. Thank you. How, how did you feel when Kitty Chiller called out your name? Is there any pre-warning uh, or not? Yes, I have known for a couple of weeks and I must admit the emotions did not. Uh, having knowing for a couple of weeks they, they didn't settle any. <laughs> um, I got really emotional as the closer I got to knowing that the announcement was going to be made officially. Um, but I must admit, when she asked me uh, in Adelaide a couple of weeks ago, I was just a blubbering mess. So <laughs> at least I contained it a little bit today. I don't think there would be a bigger honour in Australian no. sport, to be honest, Anna. No, and that's what I said. You know, of all the things that I've achieved and all the things that I've done, this far exceeds it all. And it's the biggest honour that has ever befallen me. And I'm just, I'm ecstatic. I'm emotional. I'm proud. I'm humbled. I'm honoured. I just, I could roll all words like that off my tongue for the next month, you know. (laughs) It's making me smile to hear how stoked you are, obviously, about the situation. The games itself, I heard you saying yesterday on the news that you're fitter and stronger than you've ever been, which someone that has achieved what they've achieved in your career, that is fantastic news. What (laughs) what has got you to that point, Anna? Because at some stage, some athletes with a couple of gold medals in the back pocket might just ease back a bit. Yeah, a lot of hard work, a lot of leaning on amazing teammates, an incredible coach who knows when to push buttons and when not to push buttons in Gary West. Um, in the last three and a half years, because I took 12 months off after the London Olympic Games, I've really just ringed my body out to try and get every ounce of better performance in at training that I can. And I know that my physical body will be the best it's ever been in Rio. I don't know how that will compare to other women in the world because it's a completely new field because um, a lot of people retired after the London Olympic Games and the, and the girls I'm competing against are a lot younger. But at the same time, I can only deliver my best and I know that that will happen in Rio. How has the requirements of your body changed since you've been in the sport, Anna? We see across all sports now, athletes are fitter, stronger, tougher. Is it the same in your caper? Yeah, well, a lot of it's education and information. If you don't have that, you can't work off a, off a better platform and a better foundation. And so I have an incredible team of people who helped me with the Cycling Australia High Performance Program, led by my coach, Gary West, and supported by my manager, Francine Pinnock. And uh, I trust those people. They're the best in their fields. In, in elite sport in Australia and I don't have as much on my plate because of that. I can just go to one person for nutrition. I can go to one person for psychology. I can go to one person for sports science, biomechanics. The list goes on. Physio, massage, chiropractic care, coaching, hmm. tactics, analysis, reanalysis, all that sort of stuff. There are so many things that I could throw in there um, that go into making one athlete like myself successful. And we've discussed this before, and I know you don't understand the fascination, but the box jump that you do that <laughs> blows up the internet where you stand next to that box on two feet and leap onto it. It's about the size of a car. How's that going for you? Uh, very good, actually. Um, uh, it's yeah, it's, it's very good. Um, that's just a normal exercise for us track sprinters. And it, I guess it's, it's different because most people are attuned to endurance sports. And uh, it's really great to be able to showcase and show people what it is to be a strong, powerful body. Absolutely. What are you squatting in the gym at this stage, Anna? I can't reveal that. Otherwise, I'd have to like have a good conversation with you on side. So sorry. Right, right. No, <laughs> Ask no. me that when I retire. I'll tell you all the numbers. Uh, before we let you go... Uh, if there's one thing you've had to give up that's the hardest thing to give up, whether it's um, a social life or a certain food or something, what's the hardest thing you've had to give up and steer clear from to able to achieve your Olympic dreams? Time from my family. There are many birthday, anniversary, Christmases, all that sort of stuff that I have not been a part of, and I've just received photos. 
um, that's been the hardest. More so than ice cream? <laughs> I'm not a nice cream girl. <laughs> hey, Anna, congratulations again. As I said, all is right with the world. Have a wonderful, safe trip. Uh, it's going to be an amazing opening ceremony. And may your on-track stuff be as equally as fantastic. Thank you so much. Footy. I sat down to watch the news last night, Doc. Mm-hmm. And uh, the words explosive and controversial and spiteful were being thrown around about Alistair, conference press conf- uh, Alistair Clarkson's press conference at the airport. And I thought, well, I need to watch this. This is going to be some outstanding type of media uh, grab stuff. This is what uh, we were talking about. They're probably smarting a little bit from a preliminary final loss two years ago that's probably fueled a lot of their motivation to play over the last couple of times that we played them, particularly last year. Uh, we like to think that we've proved ourselves over a long period of time from week to week playing tough, hard footy and you know, Port Adelaide have yet to prove that they can do that on a week-to-week basis. So even those comments themselves will fuel a little bit of spite and say, right, oh, well, it's game on, and it is game on. We're, we're ready to come and play. Well, that's uh, that's clearly premeditated. He knew exactly what he was saying, Clarko. And, um, He's not telling me anything I don't know, that the Hawks no, have been consistent I, but, and Port haven't been but the consistent. But the point that he, and he said it himself, this will cause, you know, people will talk about this because of the fact that I'm saying it. I don't mind it, mind you. I, I think, you know, he's being honest. They're, they're the simple facts. Um, they are the they, simple they, facts. They are the simple facts of it. But Undeniable. How often, but how often does a coach say that about another team leading into a game? You just never, ever, ever hear that. And it will – there's there's no doubt that um, Ken Hinckley's over there saying, well, this is what, you know, the coach of Hawthorne thinks of okay, you. Okay, why, why has Clarko done that then? Well, To fire you know, up I, his own boys. Well, okay. Maybe to fire up his own boys a little bit. And also maybe – Port Adelaide, I don't think, have handled expectations all that well. And he's sort of throwing the challenge, okay, you know, you think you're, you're this and that, and, you've, yeah, you've got a good record over the last couple of years. Well, you'll bring it on. So I, what it does do, I'll tell you what it does do, is it certainly, in terms of, um, I guess, promoting our game, what Clarko has done is people will be tuning in now because it will be, it will be on tonight. I think it will be a great game. I'm looking for, I'm flying over today, obviously, at lunchtime for the – for the game tonight on seven, and uh, because of those, because of that, it just adds a little bit more spice to it. Yeah, you don't think it does? No, not really. I well, think I, uh, I think it's. Uh, I understand what you're saying about coaches don't say it, but all he said was the Hawks have been consistent, and Port Adelaide haven't. No, he well, didn't say that. He well, didn't say that at all. He said we have been. He talks. He talked about their hardness. He talked about their hardness being consistently hard. That's a. That's. That's a little bit of a... Well, you say you're reading into that he's calling Port Adelaide soft. Well, uh, not... They haven't been consistently hard, so there, there has been softness in their game. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what he's saying. Okay, well, let's get to the game itself. Port have had a good record against the Hawks in recent times. And I was just saying to you in the break, I don't know if two men have the stat, but the Hawks seem to find themselves this year watching them frequently. I don't have the numbers, but they often seem to be down at quarter time against everyone and anyone. Yeah, but they're, they're just a, they're, they're a great team. They're, the only, they're still the only team in the competition where when I'm watching them, um, and the game's close. You just they've just got great decision makers. They they use the ball so well. They've added some young talent into that team. I, I think they're premiership favourites. Um, you know they've they've actually got a quite a tough run home. They play you know a lot of the West lot Coast of the away, good teams. Sydney yeah, away, Sydney away. away. They play the Kangaroos as well. So they've got some uh, they've got some challenges over the next sort of eight weeks. But it starts tonight, and I, I think it'll be a great game. If Port Adelaide bring the same game, and this is the consistency that he's talking about with Port. If they bring the same game that they went into against Richmond last week, then they're a chance, no doubt. Because at at home, um, it'll be a it'll be a I don't think I think it'll be a bruising it'll be a bruising affair. Who'd you tip? I've actually tipped Port. 
are you talking about, Willis? Well, I, I, and the only reason why is because it's in uh, it's at home, and I think Port still think they're a sneaky chance. I'll tell you why. Because if they get over the Hawks, given that West Coast play the Kangaroos, who are both 7th and 8th, mm. and they, if they beat the Hawks, then all of a sudden Port have a sneaky chance if the Kangaroos or West Coast keep losing of getting into the 8th. So okay. their, their final chances, they think, are still alive. I uh, think the final eight's set myself. I've only got one word for you. What? Cyril. He's back. He's back. He's back. He'll be firing too. Now, Joey Montagna's just walked in. He's heard you say it'll that be, Port's going to win. He's shaking his head out there, Joey. He can't believe what he's hearing. It'll be, in here. I'll tell you what else I'm looking forward to. I reckon uh, your man, Sam Mitchell, mm. he'll get tagged. Now, he hasn't been tagged by Kane Mitchell? a lot this year. He got tagged by Mitchell uh, where, Mitchell in Sydney, and now Mitchell for Maybe Port Adelaide. Maybe that's how you stop him. Now, Put Mitchell, Mitchell on oh, Mitchell. Mitchell. Well, I reckon Mitchell will go to it. I think they will tag. They went with two tags last week, Port Adelaide. Mm. Uh, Ebert on Dusty Martin didn't work, but uh, Mitchell on Cochin did. So I think uh, Mitchell might find himself on Mitchell, and there's going to be a bit of spite in this one. So if there's any young bloke hoping to get drafted this year and his name's Mitchell, he He'll, might have just rocketed up the order. Get on to Mitchell. <laughs> it's always nice to have a regular guest of the Hot Breakfast come in and tell you in the break that you think uh, you're doing a better job than the incumbents. Uh, welcome to Joe Montagna. Very nice of you to say that, <laughs> Morning, Joey. Howie. Morning, Doug. And, uh, and when Ed's back uh, next week, he'll <laughs> say the same thing to Ed. <laughs> hey, Joe, I I've worked in the media long enough to not always necessarily read and believe the headlines. And I get up Monday morning, uh, Montagna says players will strike. Yeah. Um, what did you actually say? Because every time any organisation across any uh, career comes to negotiation time, there's always that strike word thrown in there. But I think I've been around long enough to know that maybe it's not exactly the way no, you rolled it out. No, you're right. And it's a, it's a good lesson about answering, answering hypotheticals. I, the, the discussion was around the option. I did say that the option was on the table. I'm on the, the board of the PA and that is one of the considerations. And my very next line was, but it's the very last resort and the players certainly don't want to go down that path. I didn't see that in the headline. Nah, exactly right. <laughs> and no, look, and that's, that's one of the tricks if you do the media. You've got to be careful that they grab the headline component of the, uh, the, the whole conversation that went for about 10 minutes. Okay, I'll say this. Uh, doing a little bit of research on this, and we went with that on Talking Footy, uh, your comments, uh, which were on Triple M. I must have been half asleep because I, uh, <laughs> I didn't remember. I did, I did say to Duck, well, well, how did it go in no, the box? I'll you said, oh, I'm not sure. Well, I'll, I'll, tell what, I'll tell you why, because I put it in context and thought I took it exactly how Joey explained it and didn't look at the headline. But I'm going to say this. My understanding is that the AFL are categorically not going to bend on this. So that they may find another way through other means of giving the players more, more money, but they are not going to bend on the percentage. Is it a case of the players will not bend? It is. This is what we want. Like all other sports, Paul Marsh has been given the job for that exact reason. The cricket cricket got it. AFL won it. Is there any bend whatsoever with the players, in your opinion? Well, you, you can't – I don't think you can say yes or no to that because if you say the AFL are not going to bend and we say the players aren't going to bend, well then – Well, something's going exactly to break. Exactly right. And I think that's the whole thing of a negotiation, isn't it? There's A negotiation means that in the end both parties come to – something they agree upon, and you're going to have to give and take a little bit. So that's yeah. the whole part of a, a negotiation process. And I think part of a negotiation process is you have an end point, you have a start point, and you meet somewhere in the middle. And that is certainly where it's going to go with us. But we've got – and when we were talking about the, the strike and all those sorts of things, we've, we don't think it'll get anywhere near that point. We believe that with the, the um, AFLPA guys we have representing us, led by Paul Marsh, and the AFL execs, they're both very sensible – um, men that'll get that we think will come to a, an agreement that both parties are happy with. So we don't even think it'll get that far at all. And that was probably the other part too, the, the headline that sort of made out like, oh no, we're, you know, mm. think, you know it's, I don't think it'll get anywhere near that. 
Um, and there are a lot of other mechanisms and levers that um, as players we can pull to, uh, to give us a little bit of bargaining power before we even get to that step of striking. So look, yeah, it's um, unfortunately sometimes that the headline does mm. sort of take away from the, the whole conversation that it is going to be an interesting battle and it is going to be something that both parties do want. The players do want to get a fixed percentage. We think it's time to have that share. But it'd be interesting to see how uh, it unfolds. I've, I've always, and I'm a massive believer, so I came through an era, Joey, where the Players Association basically had 50% membership and then it's and it's grown since then. Obviously, Andrew got the job. Uh, Ricky Nixon was a big part of that, believe it or not. He got Andrew, the he was one of the main reasons why Andrew Demetrio got the job at the Players Association. And then it's built and it's built some real credibility this is this is the big one though. It it really is. This is this is going to, and I'm not suggesting that it'll get down to a stride. I'm not trying to build a story here, like like some. But I'm I'm saying that I I think this this has got a lot to play out yet because uh, you know, like I said, um, speaking to a few key people, they they they're strong, and I, obviously the players are strong, and it's just going to be uh, interesting to see where they do meet because uh, it's and and it is all based around this. This percentage—that's yeah. that's 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 the the word that uh, people have a problem with. I guess it's, I guess it's a tough one, Joe, because I I look at it externally. And I think, wow, the players deserve every cent they can get. And then you speak to people within the footy clubs, and the footy clubs are like, "Oh, we're doing everything we can to make ends meet. We've got to balance the budgets, etc." So, yeah, as you say, it needs to be met somewhere in the middle because the players can't end up with all the pie, and the clubs can't end up with all the pie. No, and, and we we certainly understand that. We one of, one of the things the players want is certainly the clubs to be strong, and we want equalisation to be a huge part of the game. We think that's going to benefit the players. I think what sort of is getting a little bit misconstrued is if the players want a fixed percentage, just so that we are a vested partner in the game. If the game grows. We grow with it. It incentivizes the players to grow the game. And if for whatever reason the game, you know, is struggling financially, well, the players will suffer as well. But what I think is being missed is there's, there's certainly enough money to go around for the players and the clubs. We're not saying that we want, you know, 60, 70, 80% of the pie. Mm. We're sort of looking at that 25 to 30% region. So there's still a lot of other money to be spread around the other the other industries in football. So sometimes I think that's the... The, the battle that people are using to sort of, you know, look like the players are being greedy. We're certainly not being greedy at all. We just want what's fair. And that's what we've always said. We're not trying to yeah. take anything more than yep. we, than we, uh, that we can, the AFL can afford and that we deserve. You might be running for Melbourne Ports in five or six years with a little speech like that uh, and moving to politics. No, nah, don't. That makes me nervous when we have these conversations because <laughs> I worry no, about the next headline. Well, no, well, the next headline, <laughs> so be careful how you answer this one. The next headline, and. Lin Jong, uh, touring the Collingwood Footy Club, uh, and you're shaking your head at me. And fair enough, more hard hitting than well, than the Ed. Than it's, when Ed's in it, it's a tricky Ed one. And it. Duck and I sort of, well, I'll, I'll be honest, we sort of brushed over this yesterday, and we're both of the opinion. Well, you know, fair enough. He's having a look around. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Mick Malthouse made some strong comments that uh, if he didn't know that was going on, then he wouldn't pick Lin Jong in his side. As a teammate, how would you feel if a, uh, a Jade Gresham, for instance, just I'm just pulling that name out, was seen touring around another club? You're a modern footballer. You understand the business side of the game. How would you feel about it? Um, I think the way the game's evolving, and I think it's happened for a long time, Duck, that yeah. clubs and players from other, other so players and other clubs will start talking some capacity about now, you know, whether it's through your manager or you might even have a discreet meeting with another club if you know you're out of contract or you, you, you know, you're thinking about your future. So I don't think it's anything new. Oh, you would have liked Ling Jong to be a little bit more discreet and somehow kept it a bit more in house. Yeah. Um, and I think as a teammate, it's it's something that you sort of 
you're aware would be going on anyway. And I don't think you're going to frown upon that player and say, oh, he's, you know, completely burning the rest of his teammates and, you know, we don't want you in the side. I think you have to have a bit more of a mature approach about it. You would love them to be a lot more discreet and not be public. That's probably the key. But I think we've got to be, you know, we're, we're not naive enough to think that players and managers aren't talking to other clubs at this time of year. Well said. I don't think you begrudge anyone from looking at their options or furthering their career. And yeah. when you, let's be honest, Ling Zhong is a fringe player at the Bulldogs at the moment and they've got a lot of depth. Why wouldn't he be looking at, you know, other options for next year and beyond. I, I don't think you begrudge anyone. And, and as a players association um, leader, then, uh, you know, you, you would have to take that view. Joe, can you stick around? We haven't hit you around the head too hard. <laughs> yeah, right. Eh? Joe Montagna, the Saints superstar, is with us. The Bombers take on the Saints at Etihad in the Twilight game on Sunday. Got smoked last week interstate by the Gold Coast. And Duck has a theory that he calls the buffet theory, Joey. I do, Joey. <laughs> all sides all sides have struggled to travel this year. And I, that my theory is that when they get away, you can answer this because you, you, you guys are probably the worst at it this year. They put out the big spread, the buffet, and there is actually one side that doesn't allow the buffet. They, you actually have to order a main meal, uh, you know, an entree or a the main Hawks. meal. Is it the Hawks, is mm. it? Okay. All the other sides get the buffet. Do you eat more when you travel? <laughs> Be honest. Come on, Piggy oh, Montagna. I'm a big eater anyway. Right. I'm a big eater anyway. But probably sometimes you need to be careful of the buffet in state trips. <laughs> You're right. It is a it is a trap, especially for younger blokes. Well, the younger uh, blokes that are single at home, yeah. they, they normally, you know, they order sort of takeout or they don't do much cooking. And then all of a sudden they get this smallest board of food. <laughs> Duck reckons it's brought down dynasties, this buffet thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you, okay, would you normally have sweets if you were home here, would you normally have sweets before, the night before? Yeah, no, I'm not really a dessert man. But when no. you travel and they've got some sticky dates sitting Sometimes out there with some ice there cream. and it's been made, <laughs> I wouldn't make sticky date at home, but, so if it's uh, there, occasionally you might you, just have a little see? bit. <laughs> the, buffet the buffet theory, theory. is being I'm, proven. It, it is. I'm telling you, Mick Martin, Dennis, Dennis used to sit there and, and he used to take notes of how many times the guys would go up yeah. and have, you know, get another plate, yeah. get another plate. Mick Martin would come back three times you'd say, hey, son, do you normally uh, eat three bowls of ice cream when you're at home so, <laughs> the well, night before a game? Used to, it used to get a bit, and Ross Lyon used to be a bit, I mean, all over it, and we had blokes, especially guys like Schneids, who used to try and get the young <laughs> blokes to go and get the second plate for him because Schneids always had skin fold issues and he wasn't allowed, he knew that Ross would be all over him. So he'd get one of the young blokes, hey, just go and get another couple of bits. <laughs> so uh, it is a trap. Uh, there you go, the buffet theory. Buffet theory. Hey, Joey, uh, Paddy McCartan has been in the news this week with with another concussion. Uh, there's been a lot of interesting discussion from outside the footy club, but what's the thoughts from those that are actually in the know inside the footy club? And obviously, this is a medical de- department and you're a player, but how's he tracking? Yeah, absolutely. Look, as you said, it's the club are, gonna ha- are handling it as best they can. It's between Paddy and the docs, and obviously his health is the number one priority. I think the club have handled it well. They ruled him out for this week, and then it'll just be an assessment from here on in for the rest of the season, what they want to do with him. And a lot of people can speculate and have their what they what they think, but really it's up to the docs and the club and, and Paddy and his family to decide what's best for him because it's an you know concussion's a very individual matter. And um, but he's in pretty good spirits. He he's he's been around the club at training and he hasn't hasn't had too many side effects. So hopefully we see him back um, sooner rather than later. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an issue for the kid, but um, he'll sort through it. The inconsistencies of the Saints this year called you a couple of weeks ago in my favourite game of the season when you rolled the Cats and then you go up to Gold Coast and you're never really in the game. Is this 
and I know you don't want it to happen, but is this just a developing team that, that has these ups and downs or you don't see it that way? Um, I think so. When I try and think of the reason, I think it might just be a developing side. I think looking at this year, actually, I think you can look at our games. We've had nearly every, we've had two strong performances yeah. and then a really poor one and then another two strong performances. And So that's probably better than last year where it might have been one good one, two bad ones, another good one. So I think it's just part of the evolution and we're evolving and, um, you know, we are a young side and we're still learning and hopefully we can, can cut out those. The poor loss, I think the gap between our best and worst needs to needs to close and, and that's something we can work on well, going rem- forward. Remembering, you nearly beat the Hawks yep. down there. You nearly knocked the Kangaroos yep. off mm. as well. I mean, yep. it's been pretty consistent other than those interstate so, games. Yeah, there's, where been, there's been five games, I think. The buffet, buffet has been. been. Five games where it's been really poor. Any, any more interstate trips this that's year it, or this not? this year. Right. right. So, so Thursday night, are you just going to go to the local buffet? Or well, not, Tassie, <laughs> we, we played in Tassie and we nearly beat the Hawks over there, but maybe... Maybe the buffet wasn't yeah. as good. <laughs> hey, Joe, we appreciate you coming in, mate. Thanks, guys. All Thanks right, buffet me. boy. We'll catch you soon. Duck, there's many things I love about you, brother. Many mm. things I love about you. One is your positive attitude. Two is you always see the best in people. Three, you don't let things get to you. But something got to you this week. What? Well, we discussed it on Monday. And uh, Damon Johnson, the editor of the Herald Sun, is going to join us very, very shortly. But the footy fan statistics survey came out. And question number 18, who is the best AFL tactical analyst on television? There was 12,074 submissions. And number one on this question, with 2,500 votes, with 20.71%, was David King. It goes all the way through Dermot Brewer and Jason Dunstall. There was 12 people listed. Um... And the lowest percentage vote, I think, was, well, Mark Rusciuto got 2.82%. Danny Frawley got 1.86%, which I'm not sure that's exactly spot on. But, Duck, uh, let's be honest, you were disappointed that you didn't even get to run the top 12. No, I wasn't. And I said I wasn't on the list. Well, and I was right. So you don't feel that your name was actually ever no, put on the list? wasn't even put on the well, list. Well, we need to ask Damon about this. Now, I just want to ask you straight down the line. I tried to get this out of you the other day. But would you say, because I know you love your statistics. You are a t- Would you say with Cameron Ling at 14.5%, obviously you didn't get any percent. So, so that this. means he's a better football analyst than I'll you? i say this. Back to back. Back to back. Back to back. Voted by your peers. <laughs> Media Awards, number one analyst. Back to back last year. But, Radio. Back back. So what you're doing is doubting these statistics? No, I'm not doubting those. They, they are what they are, you nimrod. Okay. I'm saying that I wasn't on the list to be voted for. So you don't think your name ever came it up in the discussion? On the point? list. I've already I've had it confirmed. So Ooh. they can't vote for who's not there, Well, Damon's got but, but it's fair to say that you therefore agree that Cameron Ling is a better football well, well, analyst than you. Well, against all of those people, clearly. That's 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 what that says. You're a nimrod. So do you agree that Matthew Richardson's a better football analyst than you? Yes you're or not, no? I just want a yes making, or a no. You're not making sense. It, is he a better you're analyst than you? Sense. A yes or a no? Yeah, they all are. They're, they're all, they all do a great job at what they do. And like, they're all not, better at it than you? There's not one person there that uh, they're, they're, we're, I, I consider us all very equal, to be honest. Oh, so now you're equal? Absolutely. So they're not better than you? They're all, they're all my peers, and my peers voted me back, back to back. Um <laughs> Last year for the Media Awards. Damon Johnson will come in next to answer the big question. Was Duck's name ever put on this list? Winter breakfast. Yeah, they're all better than me. Oh, we're all equal. No, we're equal. We're all the same. You know, the thing I love about doing this show is the variety of the topics you get to cover, Duck. We've yeah. already spoken about politics today and the world of the finance. Diesel is about to come in and play some songs at Eddie's desk, which is now Duck's desk, which I'm looking forward to. You've got very different musical taste. You cover all genres. Dean is in there as one of your favourites. Yeah. 
What other type of stuff do you typically listen to, Dark? I, like I said, I vary. Van Halen, ACDC, love Jimmy Barnes growing up. Taylor Swift, George Michael, loved uh, <laughs> his music. Uh, Taylor Swift, George Michael. All of those. Uh, all of those. I'm just very, very broad. And walking into the studio, it's a great thrill for us to welcome to Triple M's Winter Breakfast, Diesel himself. Hello, Diesel. How are you? Yeah, great to see you. We were just well, talking listen about... To that, uh, uh, listen to that beautiful voice already, just uh, <laughs> huskiness. We were just talking about Duck's uh, variety of music tastes, and he mentioned in one sentence, Diesel, ACDC, he mentioned Taylor Swift. Who else did you mention in there? George Michael. George Michael. Uh, who were your main influences when you started off your musical career? Um, that just kind of sent my mind really. <laughs> As just, let me just recover from that. <laughs> um, well, ACDC, definitely. I remember wagging school and, uh, yeah, going about two blocks down the hill towards the ocean. It was a terrible, you know, when you go to a school where you can see the ocean mm. from the school, it's not a good thing. <laughs> it's tough, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, we'd go to this person's house and um, she had like a seven-inch single of eight, uh, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. And um, I wasn't that... Familiar with ACDC, believe it or not, because I'd you know come from America and back and forth, and that that was my kind of first real. And the first thing I remember was like, what are, what are they saying? Was it Dirty Deeds and the Dunder Chief? <laughs> <laughs> is it is it like a chief? You know, like because it's quite chopped, you know. But uh, I just remember that, that it was just the threatening sound of those guitars, and they're slightly out of tune. And then, of course, by the time you know Mutt Lang got hold of them, and people don't know who Mutt Lang is, Mutt Lang did all those albums by Def Leppard and right. Shania Twain. He's very precise, but all the ones that were done, like the Alberts ones, they have that beautiful raucous, out of tune buzz hum from the amps and everything. And that's that's what I remember. Just like wow, this band is like you know they were pretty punk. Hey, Bruce Springsteen would have been a uh, he would have been a favorite. Yeah. And by the way, he's another favorite of mine. Growing up. alongside Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes. Now my my brother. Read the Rolling Stone review on that album, Born to Run, and went and bought it. It was in Time magazine. You know, it was, it was a ma massive album. And so that album made it into my house. And I think long after he kind of, I wouldn't say got sick of it, but his fascination with, you know, went wherever it went. But my fascination just kind of went nuts, you know, with that album. I remember coming home from school and listening to it every day. And every song had like a little movie in my brain, you know, so... It's a very cinematic album, Born to Run. I think that's the great thing about music. And we were joking around, it's not our area of expertise, but you're, you're listening and thinking of songs and they take you back to certain mm. memories. And Australians, especially mine and Duck's age, I can, we were talking about it before, I can remember being at Deakin University and Burwood and you coming to play. And I can remember the night and the people I was with at that stage and the things we got up to and, and your album, Hep Fidelity. I reckon it came out when I was about to do my year 12 yeah. exams. And it must be great when people come back, it might be annoying, I don't know, and relate no, times in their life that's tied with too. your music. Unfortunately, they're not all great. There are... There are things like men at, what is it, men without hat safety dance. That, un <laughs> that, un that unfortunately, that, that has a memory as well, you know. Like I remember, yeah, going to TAFE College and when I'm, for a second I thought I'd studied to be a, an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, that would have worked and out I just, well. I just every time I hear that song, it's like it takes me back to like going to TAFE College and just thinking like, why am I doing this? To collect teas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it's just like not every song is romantic. I'm oh, sorry to spoil your romanticism no, there. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Uh, the new album Americana is out now. A national tour with a full band. We'll see Diesel play the Corner Hotel Richmond Friday, September 9. You can get tickets at cornerhotel.com. Already been touring a lot of the country. You're going to mm. perform some Johnny Cash songs later yes, for Cash. us, which we're really looking forward to. So this is uh, this is you going back to the music you love? Yeah, look, I, I was given a, a piece of paper with a bunch of artists on it by my agent who I've been with since 1987. Wow. <laughs> he was the junior. We were all juniors at that point. Um, and he just said, look, I really think you should make this album. You're the guy to do it. Um, I, I drove in the, to the office that morning very nervous because he wouldn't even tell me what the idea was. And I thought, oh, my God, he's going to ask me to do a musical or something. <laughs> Christmas carols or something Elephant like Elephant Man, yeah. musical. Um, but, yeah, it was just one of those things. I saw the paper. Oh, the list of artists thought, yeah, you're right. I've got to do this. And as it's turned out, it's kind of turned into like a story. Yeah, I didn't plan it that way. But when you start going back to your first memories, which for me was hearing my sister sing the Joni Mitchell song, the Circle Game, in the house when I'm about two or three years old. Right. So that song really stuck in my brain. And she sent me an email the other day because she's been hearing me talking around the traps. She goes, yeah, that was me that was playing that song. Like I, I was obsessed with it when I was like 16. So... It's it's a big family, you know. My house was yeah seven kids and lots of lots of albums. So mm. being at the bottom of the whole food chain, I really benefited from all their expendable income that they were spending on records, because I sure didn't have a penny to buy records. <laughs> so. We've got to let you go because you need to yeah. move into Duck's desk. But one final question for you: We were talking the other day about what our dream jobs would be, and Duck and Rosie. Duck had played football at a high level and said that was his dream. Rosie's was coming awesome. in here. Mine was to be a professional surfer. A lot of people want to be a rock star. What's it actually like? Johnny Diesel <laughs> well, to be a rock star. Put it this way, it's better than picking fruit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not that there's anything wrong with picking fruit. No, there's there's a bit of a joke there. It's um I'm not gonna name the name of the rock star, but this this great story about this up in this north coast of Queensland and they're at this sort of after show party and Oh, look, I'm going to say it because it's quite funny. Like, it's Jeff Martin from the Tea Party. He's, right. you know, he is a rock star. He's actually yep. very good at being a rock star, but he was in a circle and someone said, so what are you, you know, a European backpacker said, so what are you doing here? You're picking fruit? He goes, no, I'm a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best answer. We'll let you go and get ready. Hey, thanks for coming here with no a chat with us. Diesel will play at Duck's desk in about 10 minutes' time. <laughs> The editor of the Herald Sun, Damon Johnson, has come in. Uh, hello, Damon. Morning, boys. Right, the big question's right off the top. The Herald Sun football uh, quiz. We, we get him in here for Well, this is what I want to know rubber? straight away. Duck's got his nose out of joint that he didn't get a run in mm -hmm. the top 12 football analysts in the game, according to the public. He's of the opinion that his name was never on the list to be chosen from. How would you respond, sir? 100% wrong. We've got Brereton. We've got Dunstall. We've got Frawley, Rusciuto, yep. King. Yep. And uh, Richo, yep. and we've got other. <laughs> and, and you've made my week, Damon. And other, you've got 519 votes, 4.3 percent. There you go. So, um, given that I've sold more papers than all of those folks <laughs> put together for your paper, I That's would have true, thought. Actually, I Wayne. would have thought you could have at least put my name on the other. list. Okay, other. Now, to more serious issues. <laughs> Uh, Victoria's most notorious pedophile, free to ride, trains alongside children. is exclusive on the front page of your publication today, the Mr. Baldy Express. I'm fascinated. These pictures, uh, which one is obviously taken by one of your photographers, is mm. this luck? Is this you trailing a guy for an hour, a day, a week? How does this work? Oh, look, a little bit of both, Mark. We received some information that um, Mr. Baldy, who lives in a 
secure facility somewhere in the regions. We need to be a little mindful mm. of some legal restrictions. But um, We had Darren in, actually, <laughs> uh, we did. Dur- during the week. <laughs> yeah, he, knows a, his, he, he, he knows a little bit about the law. Yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've spent a little bit of time uh, uh, catching that train, and uh, yesterday he turned up. So um, we videoed him, and right. uh, then he goes to a uh, community meeting. Uh, in Ballarat, and we uh, waited outside, and as journalists do, Wayne, as you know, yep, and um, uh, and he walked out. And we asked him, talked to him, he gave us a couple of brief comments, which are there on the front page. And uh, but I think what it points to is a, a, a wider uh, concern amongst the community about the levels of freedom that um, serious sex offenders have. Yeah. They may have completed their sentence, but they're under, and again, we need to be mindful of the law, mm. but they're under existing, uh, ongoing um, uh, legal uh, restrictions, let's just call it that, And uh, but they do to give them a degree of independence, and I would imagine the parents on the, on that train probably would have been concerned by oh, that. Oh, yeah, probably yeah. concerned. You'd be, let's be honest, let's be completely frank, you'd be horrified. Yeah. Now, um, he's in the company of a, uh, a, a government um, minder, if you like, yep. but they were sitting separately. And uh, there's an issue of uh, that debate between rehabilitation and protecting the community. And I reckon most of the listeners out there would believe that protecting the community comes ahead of this man's rehabilitation, given the um, level of his offending over the decades. So he actually has someone that goes everywhere with him. Um, and who, and who, pretty much, and pretty who, much. Who pays for that? You do. You do, mate. The taxpayer's money. That, I've never heard of that before. That's quite incredible. Did yeah. you know that? Uh, only after reading the article today. And there's a, he's, he wouldn't be the only one. There are several hundred people, um, or at, at least more than a hundred people who would be under similar um, legal orders right. that he is. The, so, uh, the, the other story that has caught my eye this week from a, from a Melbourne point of view, and you've headlined it on the front page today, Home Invasion Outbreak, page eight to nine. We've all heard of robberies, et cetera. The thing that's getting me about this story, Damon, is that people are being caught mid-act and it's not stopping the act. And me at home with a young family, if someone comes into my home and I walk out and that doesn't deter them, that's a frightening, frightening scenario. Yeah, this is a a very disturbing trend that's only really emerged in the last year. Um, Is is it, is it, oh, sorry, is this off the back of the ice epidemic, you think? Look, is it I, drug I, related? Look, it may be. I think it's a really complicated driving force here. A lot of the kids, and they're mainly kids, 14, 12 to 18-year-olds, a lot of these kids um, have just arrived in Australia. They're from um, very difficult backgrounds, uh, war-torn countries, So th- this has been tied in with the apex gang yeah, scenario, for there's, want of a better there's term? There's no point being polite about no, it. No, no, absolutely. It is a massive problem, and it's a... One of the big drivers, um, uh, African youths. Um, it just is. It's a fact. Now, they're not the only ones. There are Caucasian. There are uh, kids who are born and bred in Australia who are doing it. But equally, there's a trend emerging amongst these kids. And they're doing it because they've come from troubled backgrounds. They have no respect for the law or private property. And it's really only a matter of time before what happened a couple of nights ago results in the death of one of those kids or the deaths of a uh, father trying to defend his family from a break-in at three Mm. in the morning. So it's a massive problem out there. It's happening in suburbs and they're largely doing it to steal uh, cars. And what a, uh, and as you pointed out, Damon, that this is across all groups, but this is the group that's being focused on at the moment or across all racial profiles. 
What then happens to the cars? If I'm a, a 14, 15-year-old and I steal an Audi, what, what, what do I then do with it? Well, that's a really, really good question because that's the motivation. It's about money. So um, sometimes they'll be caught in a police pursuit. Sometimes the car will be dumped. More often than not, it can be um, sold on to uh, more organised criminal gangs who can break it up re- or, uh, and send the parts overseas yep. or rebirth it. So, And they'll pay good money for an Audi, obviously. So are they being used a la, for want of a, a better uh, choice, like Fagan in Oliver Twist where he would send out mm. the young thieves and they would bring it back to him? Is it something like that? Yeah, look, there's, look I think that's part of it. Uh, but there's also just... Uh, a uh, cultural problem, a lack of respect for the law, a lack of respect for um, our values here. And this is, uh, the police um, and the law cannot arrest their way out of this problem. You know, yes, the police have to arrest these kids. The magistrates then have to lock them up. But equally, they can't lock them all up. So therefore, there has to be a, a community cultural response as well. And I know Graham Ashton, the top cop, has, uh, shares that view. Uh, just one quick story before we sure. let you go, and I noticed it was the front page of the Sydney papers, and I can understand why. Kieran Jack, mm. it had him. He had his rugby league legend grandfather, so it appeals for two markets there. There's a beautiful girl involved in a bikini, which was on the front page, which, let's be honest, is a entirely uh, another market. A, a big story from a media point of view because it's got, rightly or wrongly, three or four really strong hooks to it. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It cuts across both NRL and AFL. Yeah. Um, look, it's... You got to feel sorry for Kieran. He's playing his two hundredth game on Friday night. At so sorry, yeah. so sorry and, for him. You know, I thought the way he handled himself yesterday. I don't know whether you saw yeah, it. Was yep. with a lot of dignity and maturity for a young guy who's um, would appear his mother has thrust what should have been kept private. in private yep. into the public via Twitter. And of course, once it's in the public domain, well, we're going to write about it. Yep. Um, and uh, uh, but look, it does have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, news value to it. But you've got to also feel sorry for Kieran. You know, he's playing his 200th game and he'll never forget what's happened this week. But good, good luck to him on Friday. Hey, Damon, we appreciate your time for coming Yeah, good on, good on you, fellas. Great Thank to you. chat with you. Diesel from Duck's Desk next. Others, winter others desk. Others desk, yes. The, the 5%. Something I've been looking forward to all week, a national tour with Diesel. You can see him play at the Corner Hotel Richmond Friday, September 9. Tickets at cornerhotel.com. He's already been touring the country this year. His new album is an absolute beauty. It is called Americana. It is out now. It's a great pleasure to welcome to Duck's Duck's Desk for the first time, performing the Johnny Cash Classic. Ladies and gentlemen, you can see it on Triple M Facebook's page live right now. This is Diesel with Ring of Fire. Is a burning thing in a maze for a firing ring bound by wild desire. Well, I feel to man fire and I fell into a burning fire. Love is sweet Hearts Like ours and me I feel 
Wow, that was Diesel at Duck's Desk performing the Johnny Clash, a cash classic, Ring of Fire. You can get the new album, Americana, out now. A national tour with a full band. You can see him play at the Corner Hotel, Richmond, Friday, September 9. Tickets, cornerhotel.com. How good, How good was that? Good? How, you know what? Live music. Yeah. It's just absolutely brilliant. He's got a, an absolute beautiful voice. And what about the guitar? 12 strings, Rosie tells us, which is yep. not an easy task, Rosie. Not at all, but it has gives a nice depth to it. It's you know, beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing when you see something that you have no ability and you just admire someone. And just to see him live here, and you can see it on the Triple M Facebook page, yeah. the passion and yeah. the involvement and the skill of 35, 40 years of his life to get to that point to see someone that's elite at what they do is absolutely Very fantastic. special to have that this morning. And we'll see him with full band at the Corner Hotel too, which yep. would be fantastic. Can't wait. That's the highlight of my week, no doubt. That was Diesel. Get his new album, Americana. It's out right now. Rosie, one of the favourite things I ever hear my man, the duck, say mm. is when he says, hey, can I have this next segment because I've got something to talk about? Mm. And then he follows it up with, it relates to Tinder. Yes. Well, Getting very excited. Well, here. The floor is yours, big daddy. <laughs> but, but, you know that uh, I'm a bit of a romantic. You are. You love your old I, no, I love, yeah, I, I love, uh, you know, I love my soft movies and all that sort of stuff. As I do I. I've got a mate at the moment and mm. he's, he's a real romantic himself. Right. Now, I'm not going to use his real name, but Butsy, right? <laughs> And that sounds a, an unusually made no, up name. But, but, but Butsy's a man who. If, at I, if the I was moment, making up someone's name, Rosie, I'm not sure I'd just pluck Butsy he's from looking, me there. He's, he's looking for love, and I think he's looking in the wrong places. And I'm not to suggest Tinder is the wrong place. I'm right. saying I'm, many, many people I know that have met on Tinder are now really, yep. you know, happy couples and have had kids and all sorts of stuff. But this man is going on lots and lots of dates on Tinder. Unfortunately, he. Keeps getting his heart broken. He meets a girl on Tinder. He then, you know, on, something happens. He goes on another date. Recently, 
we happened to be having dinner and the girl that broke up with him from Tinder walked in with another Tinder date in front of him. Oh, and Bussy. I've never seen a man so shattered in all my life. And I'm just, I'm putting it out there. I just, I, you know, it just, go back to the, to the old way. Go out, you know, go to a barbecue, go to a... You know, a go barbecue. to a concert, go and watch go Diesel, yeah. go and watch Diesel. Interact face to pub. face. Interact face to face, you know, do it the old natural way, you know, and get off Tinder. I, you know, I, I really do. Um, I wish him the best, but it's just a, it's, I just think that people are losing that face to face ability of meeting people. They're just doing it the lazy way and pushing out. Well, something, something on face to face before I ask you this question, I like where you're coming from. When you say your man, Butsy has been using Tinder regularly. What, what is a regular user of Tinder? And you said he'd been on a few well, dates. Maybe, what's a few? maybe he's uh, more than regular. Okay. What's a few he's dates? He's going on like 15 to 20 dates a week. A week? 20 dates a week? He's, yeah. Yeah. That he's, is a lot of small talk. Well, he's putting, he's putting in a lot of, <laughs> oh, the small he's, talk he's putting Rosie. in a lot of time, but th- this is what is. So uh, tell me about you. He's unlucky in love. And just and just when he finds one that he likes, she doesn't like him, and, uh, and that's why I think he's got to go back to the drawing board. Go and watch Diesel. Where's Diesel playing? Corner Rosie, Hotel. Corner Hotel. Corner Hotel. September nine. September nine. Go and watch Diesel, and do it the old-fashioned way, Butsy. I just can't believe that he's going on twenty dates a week. They are. He's got time for that. Well, uh, well that's for, yeah, exactly. That's <sighs> exactly what we want to know as well. But uh... well, further to that, and you're talking about face to face. You were telling Rose and I in the ad, and this came up last night because I think the Commonwealth Bank had put up their fees if you go in and see the bank. And you said to me, oh, mate, "I've never done internet banking because I like to develop a rapport with the bank staff." Yep. I I do. I still go into the post office. I go into all the banks. All of the banks that I bank with, all in and around this area, Port Melbourne, South Yarra. South Melbourne, all of those areas. I know all the bank. I know all the bank managers. I know all of the staff. I walk in. We acknowledge one another. I, I like it how. So if you're people, just changing money from accounts, you, you don't jump online. Nope, you, you go face. I go face to face. Really? Yeah. Do you find that funny? I do because it takes. I tell so you long. what. You have a one. There'll be a day where you have a problem and you need to go in there and they look at you and go, "Who are you, Mister uh, Howard? Uh, we we don't know you, so we can't fix your problem here. Go back online and." We'll see you in two weeks. So it's very important you have that rapport, I think. Face to face. Say your mate Butsy, whose name's not Butsy. We need to get him on at some stage because well, I want to know. Butsy. <laughs> I want to know how he knocks out 20 dates a week. Well, so yeah, I, that's what we all want to know. That's what we all want to know. Duck, you're shortly to get on a plane heading off to the Adelaide Over, one of the great places to watch sport if you've never done it, by the way. The Hawks take on Port tonight. Yeah, we discussed it earlier, but th- th- this is going to be a ripping game, obviously. Uh, with the added spice, and I know you you didn't think it was a big deal, but Clarko has put the pressure back on Port Adelaide, saying they've been inconsistent in their uh, in their efforts. They are three-time Premiership uh, champions, and uh, they go over now. I, I, I think this will be a really... Hard fought slog tonight. Um, Probably wet in Adelaide too. I'm tipping. Yeah, well, if we've had rain here, generally we get the uh, the rain from there. So I'd say they've had a little bit of uh, wet weather over there. So it'll be a it'll be a tough slog. It'll be a big, really good game. I'm actually I can't believe it, but I'm I'm tipping against the Hawks again. So all the Hawks fans should be happy because every time I do it, 
The Hawks win. The other really intriguing game this weekend is tomorrow night, and it'll probably be wet too there at Simmons Stadium. Geelong take on Sydney. Yeah, Tough a road up. trip for that one. Uh, the big bud heads down the highway. Never played there before, did you know? Buddy Franklin never played down at Simmons um, Stadium. Well, I guess he would have Simmons never stadium. played there for the Hawks, would he? So that makes no, sense. No, so it's uh, his first time down there. Big game, obviously. Battle of the midfield. You've got uh, Selwood and Danger up against Parker and, and Hanabry and Kennedy and all of those guys, and then the big forwards, big Tomahawk. Uh, we're not sure whether Mitch Clark, was he named last night, Mitch Clark? Might come back into that cat side, but if he does, takes a little bit of pressure off. Uh, they don't have to have the sides in, Howie, until uh, later on tonight, so it won't be in the paper. I just noticed you're flicking through it there, but uh, that that is going to be a ripping game. So Thursday night, Friday night, footy, big games. Where's your money for Swans versus Geelong? I think I'm just going to stick with the home team. I think mm. the Cats, they're, they're a better team down there. And um, Sydney been playing really good footy. Buddy kicked five last week. They still lost. Big reliance on him. And I think the Cat defenders, uh, they they like to zone off if Who they think they're to going to. Um, oh, Lonigan or Taylor. Lonigan normally gets him. Taylor will play off his man and help Lonigan like right. like he always does, and that and that's their great strength down there. Mackie and these guys they they read the play so well. So if they think they're just going to get it into Buddy, then uh, that might play into the Cats' hands. So I'm tipping the Cats in a really close game. Been a strong show. We loved having Diesel in to play live at Duck's desk as well. Check out his new album America. Anna, Americana, it's an absolute beauty. A lot of people on the show tomorrow. David Spears, our man Spearsy from Sky News, to tell us who's going to be our Prime Minister. Yep. Uh, clown it's of the been Week. good, Spearsy. Yeah, he has Clown of the Week. And Sean Higgins from the North Metwilburn Football Club will be coming but, in the studio. But as well. he might get a Clown of the Week uh, nomination, actually. <laughs> well, any man that goes on t- 20 dates a week and can't fall in love deserves No, clown he falls of the in love, they flick him. <laughs> oh, definite Clown of the Week. Plenty to come. Have a wonderful, safe Thursday. Stay out of the rain. This has been Mark Howe, Wayne Carey, and a laughing Rosie Campbell. Hello to Butsy out there. I feel loving this. Oh, Butsy, things will turn <laughs> for oh, you, Butsy. mate. Stick with it, old Butsy.